open your Bibles with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We will read from and uh, study from verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 5. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word, congregation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this evening that you would teach us once more how to pray. That you would give us an eagerness for prayer that you would give us a life of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the author E.M. Bounds once wrote the following. The most important thing we can learn is how to pray. Prayer is no fitful, short-lived thing. It's no voice crying unheard and unheeded in the silence. It's a voice that goes into God's ear. And it lives as long as God's ear is open to holy pleas. As long as God's heart is open to holy things. Brothers and sisters, Reverend Bounds' words here could hardly be more true. Prayer is one of the greatest tools that the Christian has in this life. It is by prayer that we come into God's presence and commune with Him. It is by prayer that we bring our needs to God. By prayer that we bring and turn our eyes to God's provision. By prayer that we confess our sins. It's by prayer that we show gratitude to God. By prayer that we are often sanctified. It's by prayer that we intercede for others. By prayer that we resist temptation. By prayer we show gratitude. By prayer, we repel Satan. By prayer, we find peace in trials. Christ prays for us continually before the throne of His Father. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for words. 
the Father Almighty listens and cares for our prayers. One of the deepest and greatest weapons in the Christian's arsenal is the weapon of prayer. But you wouldn't know that if you were to look at the church today. Congregation, I speak to all of you here and I speak to myself as well. Examine your prayers. Examine the prayer habits of those who are in your family. Examine the prayers and what will you find? So often, our prayers are short. We sit down for dinner, we give a quick prayer, or in our beds at night, we pray for a few brief moments of the things we happen to think about before we drift off to sleep. We shoot off a prayer that's hardly more than a sentence. Our prayers are weak. We pray with distraction. We pray with a wandering mind. Even when our prayers are fixed on a single object, often they're hardly petitions. They don't grab hold of God as much as they fumble for Him. And so our prayers end up being more as though we're speaking into a void. At least the way, that's the way it seems. Our prayers are limited in scope. So often they consist of four or five things that we pray habitually. The list of things that we tick off as we pray. We may pray for holiness. We may pray for a certain person that we care for very deeply. Maybe a couple other things we add to this list, but so often our prayers are fixed and don't go beyond what we think about for that brief moment. Brothers and sisters, if an unbeliever were to hear most people praying, they would ask themselves, are these people actually listening to or paying attention to what they're saying? Do these people actually believe that there's power to prayer? Or are they just acting out of habit? Do they believe what James says here, that the prayers of a righteous man work much? If an unbeliever were to open his ears for a moment just to listen to our petitions, what would they hear? Would they hear the power of prayer? In the passage before us this evening, congregation, James encourages us to prayer. He shows us why we should pray. He shows us how and when, and honestly, congregation, it's something that we as a church desperately need in our lives. We have no right to come before the throne of God, as Thomas Watson says, playing with feathers and trinkets. We need to know and understand the power of prayer. And that's what we'll study this evening. James declares to us that prayer is, in fact, powerful. 
He focuses in on three specific points that we'll study for this evening. Prayer is powerful, he declares, in our general circumstances. It's powerful in our physical needs. And it's powerful in our spiritual needs as well. And these three things we'll focus in on tonight. We begin in verse 13 with the fact that prayer is powerful in our general circumstances. Prayer is powerful in our general circumstances. You see, James begins the passage before us by asking three questions. The first two questions are very basic, very simple, and they apply to the general circumstances of our own lives. Let's look at the first two in verse 13. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, it should be obvious here, congregation, that James sets up two opposite circumstances. Are you suffering? Are you cheerful? And he starts out with this question Is anyone among you suffering? This word here translated as suffering is not a very common word in Scripture. Literally translated, it means feeling bad. Not a very good translation, but a very literal translation. Is anyone feeling bad? At any rate, it most likely refers to any sort of general physical or mental difficulty. And it seems, in fact, as though the people James was writing to were facing hardship. We don't know what that hardship was. Most likely it seems some sort of persecution. But it could have been any number of things. And James returns to this topic of suffering and difficulty and trials and temptations at a few different places in the book of James. A couple examples. After James greets the reader in James chapter 1, verse 2, immediately after, he declares his first words, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Only a few verses later in verse 12, James again the readers, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Indeed, in this very chapter before us, only a few verses before the passage we're looking at tonight, James reminds the readers, verse 10, as an example of suffering, here using the same root word, and patience, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. But now, James stops and he gives the believers a solution to their suffering. If you are suffering, then pray. This isn't a suggestion that James gives here. It's a command. He makes it out to be as simple as that. Whatever trial they're facing, whatever suffering they're going through, James pushes them in to prayer. And he continues with this opposite circumstance. Continuing in verse 13, he goes to the very end of the 
other side of the spectrum, he says, to paraphrase in verse 13, all right, suppose you're not currently suffering. Suppose you're rejoicing and cheerful. And this word here is the exact opposite, we might say, of the word that is given in the first half of verse 13. The first half spoke of various trials and temptations and difficulties. Here, this speaks of joy. And yet, despite the fact that these situations are completely opposite, the command that James gives them is strikingly similar. Let those who are cheerful sing praise. This word is a, congr- is a, a word that is likely familiar to you all. To sing praise. It's the same word we get our word psalms from. But what are we doing, congregation, when we sing praise? What does singing praise consist of? It's prayers to God. Our songs aren't some sort of bare ritual we do together. We don't come to church simply for choir practice. As beautiful as your singing sounded tonight, we're not here first to sound good. When we sing, when we sing praise, when we sing whenever we sing, it is in essence prayer to God. In fact, there are other places in Scripture that connect prayer and praise closely together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. And so it boils down to this, brothers and sisters, in both of the circumstances that James presents, whether in difficulty or in blessing or anything in between, God commands us to pray and to fit our prayers to the situation. So I turn to you, congregation. What situation do you find yourselves in? What situation do you find yourselves in in life right now? Maybe you find yourself facing hardship as did the people James was writing to in one way or another. Perhaps you're facing financial difficulties because of the recession we're in. Perhaps you face persecution or rejection, whether at your job or from past friends or from your family themselves for the name of Christ. Perhaps, on the other hand, you face relationship difficulties with your spouse or with your children. On the other hand, maybe everything seems to be going well. Maybe you sit back in the pew tonight and you are very content with how your life seems to be going right now. Maybe, in fact, there's nothing to complain about, so to speak. You feel blessed at work or at home. Congregation, whatever your situation, James commands you And God, through the mouth of James, commands you to pray. 
according to the circumstances of your life, to bring both your cares and your joys before God. The implication that James is making and what he says outright a little later on in this passage is that God is able to help you whatever your circumstance. And that whatever your circumstance, you have not only the right, but also the duty to pray. Congregation, consider this gift. And consider this duty. Is it a small thing that we can bring our needs before the eternal God? The same One who created the heavens who sustains them by His hand, who by the mere voice or the mere words of His mouth produced out of nothing this universe? Is it a small thing that you have a right to access the throne room of God to bring your petitions, however large or however small, before Him? Is it a small thing that you have the opportunity to praise Him? To come before Him and to look upon Him and in prayer to bring your needs before Him? Certainly not. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that you have the right and the duty to prayer? Do you believe that you can and should pray to God in every circumstance? It's very easy for us to say, well, yes, I, I, I do believe in that. I believe that God listens to my prayers. I believe that He cares for me. But on the other hand, it is far too easy for us to find ourselves praying only in certain circumstances. Some of us perhaps pray immediately when we have some need. But the the instant that our trials are over, we end up forgetting about the fact that it's God who brought us out of our trials. Some of us, on the other hand, perhaps are very quick to praise and glorify God, but the instant that something gets difficult, we doubt. And our prayers become weak and stagnant. The congregation James here commands us to prayer. He wants to show us that prayer is powerful. That whatever circumstance we are in, whether in hardship or in blessing, we can and must pray to God. Our communion with God is not an option for the believer. And for those of us who think of prayer as an option, that should be something that concerns you. If the fact of the matter is that we can come before the eternal triune God who made, sustains, saves, protects, provides, adopts, blesses in every manner, if we, if we think that coming before Him is a small matter, that should concern us. Because that's evidence of a heart that is hard. That thinks little 
of the blessings God has given us. So congregation, in every circumstance, let us come before God in prayer. But in the second place, congregation, not only can we come in any circumstance, but James narrows his focus in to teach us that prayer is powerful not only in general circumstances, but also prayer is powerful in our physical needs. Prayer is powerful in our physical needs. Now in verse 13, James begins asking these questions. But we see as we continue on in verse 14 that James continues and gives one more question. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Notice once more, congregation. In sickness, what does James command? He commands prayer. It's not as though James moves to this case, this very specific case of illness, and says, well, we don't need prayers anymore. It's not as though when the moment illness comes up, James decides to leave prayer behind. Not at all. He brings us once more to prayer. But here, because the situation is more detailed, he also gives us a more detailed response. So congregation, let's examine James' words here carefully. First, in the case of sickness, James doesn't simply command the believer to pray. No, verse 14 shows us that this believer is to do something more. I think that by the fact we already saw is anyone suffering, let him pray. Prayer here is assumed. Is anyone sick? They should pray as well. But James goes further in this response. He says, is anyone sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Congregation James here reminds us that We are not alone as believers. We are not meant to live our lives, and especially our lives of prayer, alone. On the contrary, the church is meant to work and to grow together. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 2, reminding us that the believer is in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Likewise, in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. If these things are true, if the believer is not intended to be a lone wolf, James commands us here. God commands us here. Not only to prayer, but to prayer together. 
And specifically here he speaks of the leaders of the church. Of those whose task it is to spend time in prayer. Interceding for each other. And interceding for the needs of their flock. If all these things are true, congregation, we are called to pray for each other. How often we forget this fact. How often we suffer in silence with our physical ailments because we don't think to tell others of our needs. Because we feel as though we're annoying others with our sickness. Congregation, James declares to us here, let your needs be known. You have no right as a believer to leave aside your illness and to pray alone and to ignore the fact that God calls the church to pray for each other. How often we forget this fact. Let your needs be known. Likewise, elders... It is your duty to visit and care for the sick. It is your duty to pray for and think of and especially to bring constantly before the Lord the needs of your congregations. The needs of those who are under your care. Do not let this duty escape from you. Elders, do not think that your job is merely to watch over the flock and nothing more. The Word of God declares to us that it is a very important thing to pray for those you care for. Second of all, however, James commands these elders along with their prayers to anoint the sick person with oil. This passage is perhaps very confusing. Look there with me. It says, Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This passage might be called for many a problem text of Scripture. Why would you pour oil on a sick person? People have come up with all sorts of explanations, all sorts of reasons as to why you would anoint a sick person. Very often, they're excuses for bad theology. Catholics use this passage to try and prove extreme unction. They anoint a dying person in the hopes that somehow this will forgive their sins. Likewise, Pentecostals tend to use this passage and passages like it to say, well, we need to anoint the sick and and somehow this oil by God's working will do something. That's not exactly the idea that's going on in this passage. The word here used for anointing is used in Scripture primarily to refer to hygienic or medicinal matters. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 7, verse 38, when the prostitute anointed Jesus' feet with nard. We see this use of oil for medicine again in Luke chapter 10, or under a different word, the Good Samaritan binds up the wounds of the injured man, pouring oil and wine. What James is saying here is not that this oil is going to do some sort of miraculous working on its own. It's not that this oil is some sort of special and and especially religious matter. 
It's not as though uh, this is the same anointment we speak of when we say that Christ is the anointed one. No, what James is saying here essentially is pray for the sick person applying medicine or cleaning the wounds of this person in the name of the Lord. Congregation, sometimes people try and pit medicine and prayer against each other. There are even Christians who will refuse treatment for an illness because they believe that taking medicine somehow shows a lack of faith. This passage shows us that the idea is far from the truth. Even though prayer is the focus of this passage, more important than medicine, nonetheless, God encourages the use of medicine. But notice, congregation, it is not the medicine in itself that heals. Rather, the passage tells us in verse 15, the, Lord, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And this is what James tells us about the result of such prayers. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. This isn't meant to be explicitly a guarantee that in every case we pray for someone, they will be better. That's not what James is saying here. But what he is saying here, and what we often ignore, is that it is God's delight to heal those who are sick who trust and believe in Him. That within the will of God, it is God's rejoicing to care for those who need Him. We shouldn't be surprised then when we pray for someone who is sick and they get better. On the contrary, it should be in many ways our expectation. The natural course of things. This passage teaches us that prayer is powerful. In all our physical needs, congregation, then, let us come before Him in prayer. Do you suffer now from some physical ailment? Do you suffer from some physical trial? It should not be a thing of hesitation for you to bring these needs before the congregation. And for the elders, it should be not a matter of hesitation for them to pray for those who need care. In all our needs, prayer is powerful. Let us come to Him in prayer then. Finally, congregation, prayer is powerful in our spiritual needs. Prayer is powerful in our spiritual needs. We won't spend as much time in this, but having addressed our physical needs, having addressed our general situation, James then turns to one final point. He wants us to understand that prayer is also effective in our spiritual needs. Examine these final verses with me, brothers and sisters. Look at the command that James gives to his readers. James says in verse 15b and 16, Speaking of the sick person we're just considering, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
And again, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Brothers and sisters, just as we've seen throughout this passage, in the case of spiritual needs, God commands those who have fallen into sin to prayer. But once more, this prayer He calls us to is not simply an individual prayer. You know, God commands us to pray together once again as believers. God's law is a serious thing. Has someone fallen into temptation and into sin? Are they mired in their wickedness? We need to treat it seriously. As believers, then, God calls those who have fallen into sin to repentance. And a fruit of such repentance is confession over sins and constant, urgent, pleading prayer for forgiveness from God. The congregation, God wants to give comfort to those who have fallen into sin. He wants to give comfort to the repentant sinner who confesses, who prays to God. And so once again, James wants his readers to know prayer is powerful. So he continues and concludes in verse 17 through 18 with a promise and an assurance of this promise that God is fully able and ready to forgive those who repent of their sins. Look at the passage with me. He says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James says this because ultimately he wants to assure the believer. God cares deeply for our needs. He wants us to come to Him in repentance and in faith. So He gives us this example of one of the prophets of the prayer of Elijah and how God listened to his prayer. That Elijah prayed fervently by the command of the Lord that there would be no rain. That Elijah waited, and God stopped rain for three years and six months. And yet God, during all this time, was able to take care of His own. And we see God taking care of Elijah, feeding him with ravens bringing food, giving him the water he needed. And God took care of the widow giving her all she needed as well. So congregation, when we look at our sins, we should not doubt that God is able to forgive them. When we look at our sins, we should not doubt the power of prayer in the life of the repentant believer. Brothers and sisters, God is able to take care of spiritual illness just as easily as He takes care of physical illness. Elijah here prayed for something seemingly impossible. That rain would stop. 
And again, he prayed that rain would start. He prayed fervently. He prayed seriously. And above all, he prayed according to the command of God. And God was not only able, but ready to listen to Elijah's prayer. So maybe you are listening to me now, mired in sin. Perhaps you hear this promise that God is able to forgive sin. Perhaps you doubt this promise. Perhaps you hardly know how to pray yourself. Perhaps you're afraid to confess your sins before the congregation and ask for prayer. Perhaps you ask yourselves, how could God heal me and my sin after what I've done? If this is your situation, brother, sister, consider the position that Elijah was in. Elijah's prayer brought something seemingly impossible because God commanded him to prayer. Brother and sister, God commands you to prayer. God commands you to seek Him out. So brothers and sisters, I conclude with a question. My intention here is not simply to convict you, but also to give you joy in coming before the Lord. So I ask this question. How are your prayers? Do you bring your needs before God? Do you come before God in illness? Do you come before God when you fall into sin? There are perhaps some here who cannot say they pray at all. Or rather, their prayer is a prayer of unbelief. If that's the case, dear friend, repent. God commands us to prayer. God commands us to prayer of faith. Similarly, if you are here and you don't know to whom you are praying, if you do not know Christ who intercedes for believers, if you do not have this Holy Spirit who with groans unutterable brings our needs before the Father, if you do not belong now to this Father who listens to prayers, then I urge you, come to the Lord in prayer. Repent of your sin. Ask others for help. Pray for forgiveness. Pray to Christ. Turn to Christ in repentance. He is willing. He is ready to save you from your sin. But to those of you who do believe, I want to give you comfort and James wishes to give you comfort tonight. Do you believe that God is a powerful God? Do you believe that He listens to and delights in His children and their petitions to Him? Well then, believer, come to God in prayer. He is ready He wishes to hear you. He rejoices to take care of your needs. 
and he rejoices to hear your praise of him. Is there power in prayer? Yes, there is. Let there be power in the way you pray as well. Let's pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that our prayers would be prayers which grab hold of you. Prayers of faith. Prayers which in every circumstance bring our needs and our rejoicings before you. We pray, Lord, that our prayers would be prayers which seek you out and which know you to be the powerful God who listens. Teach us, Lord, to bring every need before you. Teach us to have prayers which are full, prayers which are constant, prayers which are eager and earnest. And we pray, Lord, for those who are in sin now that you would teach them to pray in repentance, to confess their sins, and to trust in the God of prayer who listens. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this, knowing that it is through and from him that every prayer is listened to. Amen.